0: We did see a significant reduction of around 10% in fraud, but actually we then saw the fraud migrating to those payment system providers and banks who didn't have confirmation of paying live. Hello,
1: and welcome to NPP Soundbites. I'm Lisa Lintern. This is the second episode of a special two-part series where I speak with Kate Frankish, the Chief Business Development Officer at Pay.uk, the United Kingdom's leading payments authority that operates the country's faster payments, image clearing and BACS payment systems. Following on from the previous episode, where Kate shared with us insights into the UK's rollout of faster payments and open banking, as well as the development of the new payments architecture, in this episode, we turn to the introduction of request to pay and learnings from the rollout of confirmation of payee. There is a, a real balance to be found between real-time payments and protecting people from fraud. And, and obviously it's an issue that's common across the globe. Tell me about the experience that the UK has had rolling out confirmation of pay and what kind of impact is it having?
0: Yeah, the way that confirmation of pay was ruled out in the UK, um, one of our regulators regulated the nine biggest banks in the UK to have to actually develop that capability. We developed the rules and standards and then every bank or payment system provider was able to choose a vendor to work with and to build around those standards. So by regulating only the the nine biggest banks, we did see a significant reduction of around 10% in fraud when we launched actually, we then saw the fraud migrating to those payment system providers and banks who didn't have confirmation of PE live. So we are in the process of enhancing confirmation of PE. And next month, we should roll out phase two, um, which uses the open banking directory uh, to help give access to a wider group of payment providers to that service. But confirmation of PE is just one of a number of solutions because fraudsters are really, really clever. You know, we need to continually think and develop as an industry new new controls, new ways of using data and machine learning and AI to uh, get, get ahead of the fraudsters if at all possible and um, allow the banks and PSPs who use our platform to make real-time risk decisioning based on Um, really good, uh, significant amount of data. And
1: what does the confirmation of payee look like from a user's perspective? How does that work?
0: Yeah, um, certainly I've got a few bank accounts and it's it's relatively similar, um, although it's up to each bank because it's their channel, how they actually deploy the service. But fundamentally, the journey starts with a customer looking to set up a new payee. They want to pay somebody new that they don't have already set up on their account. Um, so they put in the account number and sort code um, which is um, the indicator of where the money is to go Um, and they have to put in the customer or business name uh, that they're sending the money to Uh, and then there's a pre-payment check that's done immediately via API so it's quick Uh, it comes back and tells the customer there's a green tick, yes, this is this matches, you know, the name of the person matches the account details that you've given, so it's safe to send the money. Or it'll say, uh, if it's if it's a near match, it will say, You said John Smith, it's James Smith. Is that who you mean? And the customer has a choice to either accept or reject. And then the last um option is the system comes back and says, No, this this name does not match, you should not send the payment. Um, and even if the customer, in the first two instances, decides to send the payment, they're still asked a number of security questions, making sure you're comfortable, you know the person you're sending the money to, all of that kind of thing. So over the last 12 to 18 months, the journey is not as frictionless as it used to be. But I think uh, feedback we've we've had from end users and from our, our customers is that consumers actually like the fact that there's an additional check in place and they're comfortable with that friction to make sure they're sending the money to the right people.
1: So the work that you've done to enable requests to pay can be considered parallel to the work we're currently doing in Australia as we prepare for the rollout of Pay2, which is Australia's first digital third-party payment initiation service for account-to-account payments. What has been key to the success of the delivery of requests to pay in the UK and what can we in Australia learn from?
0: OK, so interestingly, um, you know, the Quest to Pay was launched in 2020 and we have, currently we have two uh, live customers. We have a, a long pipeline of interested new customers, but they haven't come to fruition yet. So when other countries like us, like the question you asked me just now, what's what's um, the success of RTP? I, I wouldn't yet, I would say it's probably too early to say it's a success. The actual service itself is a brilliant service for consumers because it gives them control over their bill payments. It allows them choice of how they pay. It's payment agn- agnostic. And it also helps make sure um, this, this fraud controls in there to help make sure they know who they're speaking to and they're paying the right people. Um, but like any new type of service, we're waiting for this killer use case to come along that really starts to drive the volume in the request to pay space. And that hasn't happened as yet. But what I, one thing I would say, um, and and the way that we're changing our approach is, you know, even up till 2020, we did not uh, actively sell or market our products. Um, we built them with the industry, and then we um, did did a degree of communication, etc. But we didn't really push hard, and that is changing. And and we've realised that. To get the best value for everybody that uses any of our platforms, we have to actually push for volume and that's something that's really built into our new strategy and particularly the the new team that I'm building in Pay.UK.
1: So the world is getting smaller and payments need to speed up to support that trend. What do you think is next in terms of international collaboration?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of talk about payment bridges. So Singapore has been testing payment bridges with different jurisdictions. And this is where there's the ability to link up, you know, one PSO payment system operator platform with another across the globe. And we're keeping a watching eye on that and understanding, you know, what does it mean for us? We're a UK focused organization, but you're right. You know, many of our customers are global. Um, And if we're going to encourage merchants to use faster payments and new payments architecture for retail payments in the future, we need to understand how global companies actually access that and how it works for their business model. It's an interesting time. Um, I think more and more, uh, you know, the world will get smaller as as things are joined up. And I think both from uh, making payments flow quickly between different um, countries, and also um, fraud prevention. These are areas that globally you know, we need to collaborate on to really provide great services for uh, the customers and end users who use our platforms.
1: Well, on that note, Kate, thank you so much for joining me and, and having this chat for MPP Soundbites. It's always great to have a chat to, I guess, our cousins on the other side of the world and learn from each other. So thanks for your time.
0: No problem. Great to speak to you.
1: And that was the final episode in a two-part series. If you missed the first episode, make sure you download it now to hear Kate discuss the rollout of faster payments and open banking in the United Kingdom, as well as Pay.UK's work to develop a new payments architecture. I'm Lisa Lintern. Thanks for listening.